This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. So open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12. Um, If you're new today, we are walking through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. um, And beginning in chapter 12, uh, he begins to talk about uh, Christian living, uh, talks about kind of how as believers uh, and the way that we relate to one another, we're really called to be a a counterculture that stands out from the world, and wow, do we see this in this text. In verses 9 through 21, as the Bible here is, is talking about genuine love. Genuine love. So you find that in your copy of, of, of God's Word, or you can use the one uh, available to you in the pew. Romans 12 um, and verses 9 through uh, 21, through the end of the, of the chapter. Genuine love. Let me ask you to stand in honor of the author of God's word as we, look, as we look at the Bible together. The Bible says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, um, in uh, chapters 9 through 11, we came across a lot of stuff that was difficult to understand, didn't we? This is not really difficult to understand. (laughs) It's difficult to practice, right? And we need God's help as we do that. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do just ask for your spirit to help us uh, to model genuine love in the way that we relate to one another in the body of Christ and in the way that we relate to those who are outside the family of God and maybe even those who despise us. And Lord, we need your help to do any of these things. Cannot do them on our own. We need your spirit. And so Lord, we ask for your spirit now to speak to us and encounter us grip our hearts and our lives through your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. On July 7th, 1967, the Beatles, right in the middle of what the counterculture had built as the summer of love, released the single, All You Need Is Love. 
Now we live in more uh, jaded, cynical times <laughs> and, and we hear a, a song title like that and we may kind of roll our eyes, all, all you need is love. But you know, in a way, the Beatles were on to more than what they fully understood. Matthew 22 tells us about a conversation that Jesus had with a guy at one time. And the conversation went like this in Matthew 22, 36 and following. A guy comes up and he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus is saying there that the whole of the Old Testament can be summed up in the command to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But not a single one of us has practiced that great commandment. In fact, all of us has fallen pitifully short of that great commandment, which is why all of us need a savior. Because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the great commandment. Jesus' perfect record of righteousness and his perfect record of love can be credited to us when we turn to him and we trust him as our savior. And now what God is doing is he's creating a new people. Those who have experienced his love in Christ in the gospel. God is, is making a, a new people, a redeemed people who will be, have experienced his love and who will be characterized by the kind of countercultural, genuine love that we see in this text. Paul says here at the beginning uh, in verse nine, he says, let love be genuine. In other words, let it be real. This is the, the real thing that we're talking about here. And then really the rest of this passage flows from those four words. Let love be genuine. And he's gonna tell us about genuine love for righteousness, Genuine love for the church and genuine love for the lost. Let's look at them one by one. First of all, genuine love for righteousness. Look at the second part of verse 9. He says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, listen, we live in a culture that wants to separate love and righteousness, don't we? They want to say, hey, well, if you, really, uh, if you really love people, you just say, hey, well, you just do whatever you want. But the, that's not genuine love. The Bible says that genuine love is holy love. To, to genuinely uh, love is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And the word abhor here means to hate exceedingly. Now, that doesn't mean that we hate sinners, but it does mean that we are to hate sin, beginning with the sin in our own lives. <laughs> That's where we should look first. Unfortunately, we have a Savior who not only abhorred evil, he absorbed evil in our place on the cross. Abhor what is evil, 
hold fast or cling to what is good. To really deal with the problem of sin in our lives, it's not just a matter of kind of removing sin. We have to replace sin with things that are good, with the things of, of God. It's not just a matter of kind of, you know, getting rid of those poisonous weeds. They, they need to be replaced with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For that to happen, listen, it's not just a matter of fleeing what is evil, but even as we flee from what is evil, we are to pursue with all of our hearts things that are good, the things of God. So in verse 9, we're called to a genuine love for righteousness. And then he talks about genuine love for the church. Verses 10 through 13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What a beautiful picture of a healthy body of Christ and the way we're to relate to one another. But brothers and sisters, it's not just a beautiful picture. It's a challenging picture, isn't it? Because he's talking about relationships. And relationships involve people. And people are messy. Relationships are messy. Because we're all messy. And sometimes it's easy, to, it's easy to say that we love people from a distance. But when you get up close to people... In relationship, love can be harder. It's that way in, in families, right? We, we're around each other. I mean, we see all of our flaws and idiosyncrasies and strengths and weaknesses and all that. It all comes out in the context of a family where you're up close to one another. And it all comes out in the family of God as, you're, as we should be close to one another. And, and, and so, but listen, that's, that's the way it's designed to work. We are to love, not kind of the idea of loving, we're to love real people. <laughs> I think about uh, in the Peanuts comic strip, uh, the character uh, Linus, uh, who once expresses his frustration by saying, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> it's harder when you get up close, right? You really get to know one another. See, see it's easy to love the idea of loving our neighbor without really loving our neighbor. It's easy to love the idea of the church without loving the real people that are in our church. We're called to love the real people that are in our church. And he gives us a, a, a picture of that here. These all these incredible phrases. Could preach a sermon on, on each and every one of them. I'm about to, to, to kind of kind of contain myself here because every single one of these little phrases is just so rich. Let's walk through them um, together. First of all, verse 10. He says, love one another with, with brotherly affection. Now, this means more than the way that we, we greet one another. I hope we do greet one another 
affectionately, you know, in whatever is culturally appropriate to our setting. At one point, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was popular greeting in the first century. Still is in certain cultures today. And people kind of kind of uh, give a, a peck on each side of the cheek. I heard, I heard a pastor that <laughs> came back from a mission trip to Russia, a certain part of Russia recently. And he said right after he preached that a bunch of, a bunch of big old uh, dudes with, uh, with beards were lined up to kiss him on the mouth. And uh, kind of glad, kind of glad that hasn't made its way across the Atlantic here. Uh, but, but look, whatever is culturally appropriate, all right, whether it's, uh, you know, um, uh, you know uh, a handshake or a, a bro hug or a side hug or hey, whatever it is, okay, we, uh, hey, we want to greet one another affectionately, but this means so much more. This means you love one another like a loving family, I mean, we're out there in the world every day where people are biting and devouring one another. And we turn on the TV and people are coming at one another and biting and devouring one another. When we enter into a situation where we're going to be around brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be around a loving family where we're going to be built up, you know, and not torn down. Love one another like family with a brotherly affection. And then what does he say in the latter part of verse 10? He says, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, out there in the world, everybody's rushing to take credit. He says, in the family of God, we ought to be rushing to give credit. Out there in the world, everybody is rushing to be first. In the family of God, we ought to be in a rush to put others first. Outdo one another in, in showing honor. And then verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now these three phrases really kind of form a, a, a unit. He says, first of all, don't be slothful in zeal. In other words, don't get complacent and lazy in your walk with Christ because when you do, that's not loving. You're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ when you get complacent or lazy, whether it's in your in showing up in your presence or in your ministry or in your giving or whatever. If we get complacent or lazy, we're not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not loving our church well when we get like that. So don't be slothful in zeal. Instead, be what? Be fervent in spirit. And it could literally be translated here, be set on fire by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, what's your spiritual temperature? Is it cold? Is it lukewarm? That's called, we're called to be hot, fervent, set on fire by the Holy Spirit and to serve the Lord. We're saved to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Again, these three phrases really form a unit. There's a consistent theme here, and it's the theme of perseverance, endurance. Life is hard. Life in this fallen world is a grind. I mean, there's a, it's just hard. Earth is not heaven. There's a lot of pain here. There's a lot of suffering here. There's a lot of 
difficulty here in so many ways. But we're called to joy, but if that joy is in our circumstances, then we're not always going to have joy. Now, our joy is to be in the hope of Christ. He says, rejoice in hope. Because no matter what else is going on, whatever our circumstances are, we know our future, and it's glorious. And we know that our trials are temporary. And so when we're focused on the hope of Christ, I mean, we know that whatever trials we go through on this earth, very, very temporary. And that's why we can rejoice and hope and be patient in tribulation. But to keep that perspective, what else do we need to do? (laughs) Be constant in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. First of all, he says contribute to the needs of the saints. Money is ammunition for the mission. To the saints in our community, in our local church, but in our local church, in the way that our giving is structured, we're not only blessing the saints here, we're blessing saints across the world, including those who were persecuted and who do not have what we have. And so as we, as we become contributors to ministry rather than just consumers of ministry, we are showing love for the saints. And then he says, seek to show hospitality. We live in a culture that is increasingly isolated. People are holed up or they're just their faces glued to a screen, whether it's their phone or a TV or whatever, and, and, and kind of, you know, their, their home becomes a place that is, is viewed as a refuge. But friends, listen, in a way, that's idolatry. Your, your house is not your refuge. Jesus should be your refuge. The Bible says our, our home should really be a, a place of, of openness and, and ministry to other people. I was recently, uh, when, when Eleanor Horton went home to be with the Lord, I was just remembering, I was talking to, to the family uh, just about he and, and Virginia and their, their life here in the church. And we were just talking about so many times when I could, I could remember being at their house and just my parents and just lots of adults just uh, deepening their relationships with one another and little kids like me just kind of running around uh, the house. But oh, they were just so great at just opening their home and practicing hospitality because they love the body of Christ and they wanted people to be able to be uh, together. And so we're to use our homes, but not only our homes, I mean, part of this is just our time, just being with people. Jesus was, all, when you read the gospels, Jesus was always hanging out with people. I love it when I see people from our church just getting together, you know, after church for, you know, a meal or, or, or fellowship. And that, that can be for fellowship among just a strength and relationships among brothers and sisters. You know, it can be for discipleship where you're intentionally meeting with someone to seek to, to help them along in their walk with Christ. Or it can be for evangelism where you're, you're meeting with, with people and sharing uh, time with them because you love them and you're, you're sharing the gospel with them and you want to see them come to know the Savior, the Savior who who spread the banqueting table of his love out before us and welcomed us into his into his 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 life and his his heart. Seek to show hospitality, the Bible says. 
I love in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, where Paul says, because we loved you so much, we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And Jesus did that with us. We're to do that for others. Verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, in the world, when something good happens in somebody else's lives, what is the emotion a lot of times that is felt? Envy, resentment. When something happens good to someone else in the family of God, their joy should be our joy. We rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes when people are going through a hard time, time of suffering or time of grief, Sometimes we struggle with how to minister to them because we don't know what to say. But, but the, the Bible here is not calling us really to say anything. It's to show love. It's just to be with them and to be present with them. It's not what you say. You know, it's, it's, it's them knowing that you're, you're there for them. Your presence. Weep with those who who weep. In the body of Christ, no one should have to bear their burdens alone. Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens in the family of God. Verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. How the world desperately needs to see Christians loving one another in harmony in the local church. And that harmony comes from humility. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then in the second part of verse 16, he says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There's no place for snobbery in the body of of Christ. Um, We have a Savior who was born in a lowly manger and who died in the lowliest way imaginable on a cross. And so instead of avoiding the lowly, we associate with the lowly because Jesus died for lowly sinners like us. Beautiful picture of genuine love for the church. But now, he's going to talk about love for those on the outside who may despise us. Genuine love for the lost. Let's look at beginning of verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now think about the situation of the Christians in Rome who were the original recipients of this letter. They're living in the capital city of the Roman Empire where the emperor is worshipped as a god. But in the middle of a city where almost everybody is saying, Caesar is Lord, these believers have stood at their baptism and they have proclaimed and confessed, Jesus is Lord. And that made them the objects of derision and persecution 
and they lived under the, the threat of the loss of the loss of their lives, the loss of their uh, freedom, the confiscation of their property. I mean, on and on and on. They they were living in an atmosphere that where they were either being persecuted or liable to be persecuted by those outside at any point at any time. But Paul says here to them, he says, not only are we called not to strike back at them, but we are called to bless them. What does he say here? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And of course, this is coming straight from Jesus. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43? Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And so what he's saying here is that what makes believers stand out is not, it doesn't, our love doesn't stand out because we just love people who love us. Everybody does that. We should stand out as believers because we love those who do not love us. Verses 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, we cannot control how people are going to react to us, but we are to be blameless in the way that we treat them. And then he ratchets it up even more in verses 19 and following. Look at what he says. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You say, well, I I know some people I'd like to heap burning coals on. (laughs) That's not what he means. He's talking here about treating your enemies with such kindness that they will be ashamed of of their behavior. Right, that's what it means here, the expression means. Heat burning coals on their heads. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, when you get back at them, when you lash back at them, you're descending into the mire, into the cycle. Instead of doing that, descending into the whole tit-for-tat cycle of retribution, Jesus says, rather than doing, it, doing that, overcome that by blessing those who, who persecute you. So how do we put that into practice? How do, how do we get beyond the tendency to strike back at our enemies? Well, one is that we have to learn how to trust God, right? What does he, what does he say here? Uh, he says, God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, one of the reasons why we, t- we tend to want to just kind of lash out and strike back at others is because we think, oh, they're getting away with something. <laughs> and the Bible says no one gets away with anything. Uh, every sin is going to be judged. It's either going to be judged at the cross 
or it's going to be judged at the judgment seat and in hell forever. Okay, but, but every single sin is in some way going to be judged. God takes care of it. So our prayer for our enemies is that they will repent, that God by his grace would save them and that they would turn from their sin and turn to uh, Christ and just as Paul turned from persecutors of the church to lovers of the Savior and of his church. But, but listen, if, if, if that doesn't happen, you know, then, then God is going to, to, to deal with them. And that's God's role. You know, we're not to seek to play God. We're to trust God. And so trust him. And then second, go back to the gospel. Go back to the gospel in all of these things. Because when we go back to the gospel, what do we see? Let's think about what we see in Jesus. Think about the love that we see in, in him. So in Jesus, we see one who, whose love is closer than a brother. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In Jesus, we see one who, who came and who was dishonored and hung on a cross so that we could be honored. In Jesus, we see one who had who, had, uh, who was perfect in his zeal. He said, zeal for your house will consume me. We see one who was set on fire by the Spirit. We see one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see a model of rejoicing in hope and patience and tribulation and being constant in prayer. We see in Jesus the ultimate giver who loved us and gave himself for us. We see the ultimate shower of hospitality who, who welcomes us and invites us to the banqueting table with love. He was constantly being with people in love. We see in Jesus one who rejoiced with those who rejoice. His first miracle was turning water into, into wine at a wedding. We see in, in Jesus one who weeps with those who weep, who, who weeps with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. What do we see in Jesus ultimately? We see one who loved us when we were his enemies. We see love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And we sung it earlier, didn't we? He says, he, it's, we sung, he came to reconcile the very ones who nailed him to the tree. Well, that was us. He loved us when we were his enemies. Romans chapter five and verse 10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We're called to love our enemies because we have a savior who loved us when we were his enemies and who died for us while we were his enemies and who rose from the dead that we might not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this incredible picture of genuine love. We pray that you would give us the grace by your spirit to practice it. And so Lord, we pray that we would see this in the family of God, that we would, would love one another 
in your family, as a, as a family of brothers and sisters that you have brought together by your, your grace. Lord, give us a love for righteousness, that we would abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Give us genuine love for those who are outside the family of God and who indeed may look down upon those who are in the family of God. May, may they see a supernatural, countercultural love for them on our part. And so we lift up our lives to you and we thank you for Jesus who modeled all of these things and who is love. It's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.